When I was about 18 or 19, we had this car. I think mostly my brother and I shared the car. And I was a student at Mac, and I was mostly commuting in from Burlington to here to Mac uh, most days. And then he had his thing going on, and we would split time with the car. And I really liked that car. I liked the way it drove. I liked the way it felt. I liked the way it looked for the most part. But um, at you know, 18, 19, 20, whatever age we were, it was not a new car. It was a car of a certain vintage, which meant that not everything on that car worked perfectly well. And also, when not everything worked perfectly well on the car, since it was an older car, uh, there were things where we'd go, you know, we're students, this probably isn't worth fixing in terms of us putting our money into it. Maybe we just have to decide to live with it. And so, you know, you kind of do the cost analysis on a car like that. What are we fixing? What are we not fixing? What do we just live with? And one of the things that we decided we were going to live with was um, the, the gas gauge didn't work on the car. So, uh, I know, I know, but we came up with a near foolproof plan. We figured out approximately how many kilometers we could get on a tank of gas. We noted that. And then we made up a couple of rules, because the two of us would be driving the car. The two rules were this. When you go and fill up the car with gas, you have to fill it all the way to the top of the tank. And then the second rule was, you need to hit the trip odometer as soon as you fill it up with gas because that way you know I'm on a full tank of gas and I can get about this many kilometers. Then you know as you drive along, the gas gauge is not accurate, but you know that when you get into a certain range of kilometers that you've driven, now it's time to go get gas. And the further you get into that range, the, risk, the greater the risk that you're taking, but that's on you, whatever. Now, I know what you're thinking as you hear that, that uh, scenario and little plan. And if you could say it, you would probably say, Dave, you're a genius. Not sure how anything could go wrong there. I'm sure it all went perfectly every single time. Nobody ever had a problem. And you lived happily ever after. You would think. And for the most part, that did kind of happen. Until one day, I'm on the 403. I'm commuting into school. I have an exam. I'm a few minutes early, but not that many minutes early. Life is good. I'm prepared for everything. I'm looking at the trip odometer. I've got plenty of kilometers until all of a sudden I push down and there's nothing there. And I pull over to the side of the road. I'm completely out of gas. Now, the details are lost to history and how we got to this. I am assuming, this is a long time ago, I am assuming that the problem was my brother at some point filled up with gas, didn't hit the odometer, maybe he did it way too late, and the whole thing was off. It probably couldn't have been my fault. I'm sure it wasn't. But nevertheless, here I am now on the side of the road on the 403 with no gas heading into an exam that I need to get to. Now, luckily... And this is kind of crazy, but luckily I had a friend who also was commuting into Mac who came past me, saw me on the side of the road, pulls over, gives me a call, goes and gets me gas, and I make it on time. So, moral of the story is, maybe it was a pretty foolproof plan. Everything turned out pretty good. We've been talking in this series about measuring up, and uh, today there's two things I want to do. I, I want us to talk about um, measuring what really matters. Today, getting right down to our core... And I want to provide us a guide, number one, two things I want to do. Number one, to provide a guide to measuring our hearts. How are we doing? Maybe some of us, we would even ask the question, am I a good person? How do I know if I'm a good person? Am I a good Christian? How would I even evaluate that? I'm hoping that today we can sort of come to uh, learn a better guide to have an actual accurate gauge of how we're doing. And then secondly, 
to fill up our tanks and to equip us to keep going. And especially if today you come in and you feel like, uh, maybe I don't always feel like I have a lot of gas deep down inside of me. Maybe I'm kind of tired. Maybe I'm discouraged. Maybe I'm down that we can make sure that we fill up the gas tank and to make sure that we have a good gauge on where our hearts are because our hearts, as we're going to learn today, will dictate our behavior, our actions, and the shape of our lives. So we've been working through Luke chapter 6, and the last couple of weeks you've, you've been treated to a couple of our other pastors, John and Mark, and today we're going to kind of round out this section of the series in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus has been teaching pretty counterintuitive things about how to measure your lives. So we started talking a few weeks ago about how he would say, blessed are the poor, or blessed are you when you're hungry or thirsty, or hey, in the world we often measure whether or not you're blessed by if you have a lot, if you have everything you want, if if you've got, you know, a full bank account, but God is actually one who blesses those who are down and out and don't have enough, and he tells them to hold on, I will pull you up. We talked about how uh, you are blessed when you're mourning or when people are cursing you. He taught that the real measure of maturity is love, and not just love of the people who are easy to love, but to love your enemy. He taught that the, the way we ought to measure other lives is to do what God does, which is to give generously out of grace and forgiveness and to treat people in, in this, this deeply sacrificial and powerful, loving way. And then, as we come to the end of this chapter today, Jesus helps us get to the heart of the matter, pun intended. Uh, what does it mean to be a good person? And we need to learn how to measure our hearts. So here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. I'd love for you to follow along if you have a Bible or even a Bible app on your phone. Luke chapter 6, and I start reading in verse 43. Jesus says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Here is for Jesus the measure of a good heart. Here's the gauge. How do we know if kind of at the heart of who I am, the core of who I am in my soul, how things are going? He says the measure of our hearts is fruit. And the fruit indicates two things in the metaphor that Jesus gives us of the good tree that produces good fruit, bad tree produces uh, bad fruit, and it can't go the other way. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and vice versa. This is what he's saying about that. Fruit, if you just think of a tree and you go see a tree and you look at the fruit that's hanging off it, the fruit will indicate two different things. Number one, what Jesus says, the health of the tree. So a good, healthy tree produces good, healthy fruit. And it doesn't produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit, it will produce bad fruit, which means when you just, real simple, you go and you look at a tree, you pull the fruit down, if you went to an apple tree and you pull off an apple and you look at the apple and you went, this thing isn't formed properly, it's not the right shape, it's not the right size, it's all shriveled up, part of it's missing, whatever, you wouldn't go, oh, that's weird, it's such a good and healthy, beautiful, wonderful tree. You would probably say... There's something wrong with this tree. This tree, maybe the tree, the roots of the tree don't have enough nutrients in the soil. Maybe there's not enough uh, moisture. It's not getting enough water. Uh, maybe it's disease. There's something inside of there. But the fruit, when you look at the fruit, will tell you the health of the tree. Is this a healthy tree. And then second thing that it will indicate, fruit indicates the identity of a tree. So that's the next thing that Jesus says. He says, if you're looking for figs, you don't gather them from thorn bushes. You have to go and find a fig tree. This makes sense. Same thing. When you go up to a tree, and I know there's a bunch of different ways you could identify a tree, 
But if you're looking for an apple tree, one of the really easy ways to tell if it's an apple tree is if there's any apples. You're never going to go to a, a tree and go, ooh, an apple, and somebody goes, oh, no, pear tree. It's not how fruit works. The identity of the tree is going to be indicated by the fruit. So that's the two things, fruit and Jesus saying, and this is now true of our lives. If you want to know how you're doing and who you are, if you want to know who you are and how you're doing, what's the gauge of that? How do you measure that? Well, look at the fruit of your life. Now, there's a lot of ways that we would like to answer those questions or gauge those things. How am I doing? Sometimes we want to gauge it on our emotions. Sometimes we want to gauge it on the things that we believe. Sometimes we hope, and we hope other people will gauge us on our motivations. Well, I want to be a good person, and I want to do good things. Jesus says, if you want to know how you're doing and who you are, look at the fruit of your life. What would some of those things be? Galatians chapter 5, very famous passage talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This is now uh, the Apostle Paul picking up on the things that he had learned uh, from Jesus and the transformation that he experienced in his life, and his life in the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of God was living inside of him. And he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. So what should we look for if we are following Jesus, we're being transformed by the love of God, if his Spirit is inside of us? What should be the fruit of our life that we should be able to go, oh, that's going to tell me how I'm doing and who I am? It would be things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a great gauge. Here's a little bit of the intimidating thing about using fruit as the gauge of your heart. You can't fake fruit. Now, you can put up a bit of a facade, for sure. You can fake things like being polite or being nice or even trying to be pleasant to people. You can put on an air, you can, you can kind of put on a mask to the world and make people think that you are those kind of things. But if you go down the list that we just read, and over time in your life, you try to fake those things if they're not actually true of you, if they're not actually growing in your life, that you're not actually a healthy tree from which this is fruit. If you try and fake these things, you'll quickly find out you cannot do that. Try and fake patience. Try and fake, parents, try and fake patience. <laughs> You're married. Over the long haul, over decades, try to fake faithfulness. Try to fake self-control, not just in the things of what do I show people about who I am, what do I make sure the world sees, but try and uh, fake self-control, the things that I do or think of when nobody else will see it. And you'll understand pretty quickly, these are not things that you can fake. Yes, we can put on a facade to try and tell the world we are certain things, but fruit cannot be faked. That's what Jesus is saying. Where does good, healthy fruit come from? How do these things manifest in your life? You've got to be a healthy tree. You've got to be a healthy person. A good heart will produce good fruit. It won't produce bad fruit. And a bad heart will not produce good fruit. So we continue, verse 46. Jesus says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. 
When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. The fruit of your life will identify what kind of person you are. True for anyone, by the way. True for anybody. That what's in your heart doesn't, it's not a religious principle necessarily, it is, but it's, it's just a principle of life, universal. Whatever's deep down inside of you is eventually going to flow outside of you. But for followers of Jesus, we need to be honest about what this means. So when Jesus says that, you know, a good tree produces good fruit, and then he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? He's saying, I just want to point out a discrepancy that if you come to me and you say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, which means I'm here to follow you. I'm here to follow your teaching. I'm here to live the way that you live and the way that you call me to live. But you don't actually follow that teaching. He's saying, if that's the case, there's a discrepancy. Just go back and look at the fruit thing. That if you say you're a Jesus follower, but there's no fruit that, that indicates that, that there's a problem. And the problem is either you're not a very healthy tree, and so the fruit is not healthy, it's not good. Or maybe there's confusion about your identity. Maybe that's not the kind of tree you are at all. And so Jesus points that out to bring people in to say, I I don't want any of this. Well, you're saying I'm Lord, 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 but you're not following me. You're not building your life on me. And then he says, I'm going to show you what it looks like, what the fruit. Now he's using a different metaphor, but of something, uh, a house that's being built. And he goes, here's what it is. You follow me. I want to give you a strong foundation deep down so that everything that builds off of that, all of your life, all of makes up who you are is strong so that when, when the winds and the storms come, your life doesn't fall apart. Everything doesn't break down. But then, of course, there's people who aren't going to build a strong foundation. They don't have the maybe deep roots of the tree to make it healthy. And when the storms come there, everything falls apart. And so Jesus is just bringing them and saying, you know, I'm not looking for lip service. I'm not looking for you to call me Lord unless you're going to follow me. And so we have the clear direction for us to live like Jesus, to follow his teaching. And if we accepted that, Just from the chapter, even a half a chapter that we've been studying for the last three weeks and then today, these are the kind of things that we should see in terms of fruit that Jesus talked about just leading up to this. It would be things like, uh, we generously bless the poor, the hungry, and the mourning. That Jesus said, these are the ones that God is blessing. And so what's your orientation towards people who are down and out? It would be things like our our disposition towards those in need or, or loving our enemies, One of the very um, unique teachings of Jesus is not just to love, but to love your enemies. And so that means if you looked at a bunch of people who said they were following Jesus, said, Jesus, you're Lord, you're Lord, you're Lord. And yet the way that we treated our enemies had nothing to do with forgiveness and grace and mercy and reconciliation and welcoming people back into relationship. But instead, the people who were against us, the people we fought with, we just continued to fight with and be polarized and all the rest of it. I think Jesus would say, hold on a second. Where's the fruit? There should be some enemy-loving fruit around. If there's no enemy-loving fruit, we got to ask, is this a healthy tree or is this a Jesus tree? Are we healthy? And where's our identity? He would teach us to show mercy and compassion, to practice forgiveness, to refrain from judging others, but instead to work on our own faults so that we can see clearly enough to help others out because we're all building the house. We all have fruit that is emerging from our lives. What is yours? 
And these are the things, as we've come through, the context is important, all the things we've come through in the last three weeks to today, that Jesus is saying, this is what gives you a strong foundation in life, a healthy, loving life, is you should see the fruit that is the fruit of Jesus. And if you don't see that fruit either, not a real healthy tree, or maybe we're confused about the identity of the tree. So what do we do with that? Do we just say, I got to work harder? I got to make sure I do all these things. By the way, some of these things Jesus teaches us to do, which we've gone through, are extremely difficult to do. And if I just sent, sent us all out and we said, let's just try and be really good people, I think we'd come back and say, I tried. And, you know, sometimes it went okay, but a lot of time I didn't do all that well. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Does it mean um, that, that I'm a totally unhealthy person? How do I make any real progress? I want to come back to a verse we read, verse 45, that I think is a linchpin of this passage. So important. It says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, or some translations say from the treasures of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say, what comes out, flows from inside. What's inside eventually will leak out and be expressed in your words, and then as Jesus continues to teach, I think he would imply in our actions and how we live. But where does it come from? The treasury of our heart. A treasury, you know, think of like governments have have treasuries, or they have reserves. It's a storehouse. It's, this is where you put reserves for when you really need help, for when you go bankrupt, for when the economy is in the tank, for when you need something. You go to the storehouse, you go to the treasury, and that's where you find the resources that you really need. Hey, we're in trouble. Go to our reserves and let's find them. And then Jesus says, it's the treasury. This is where you're going to need to go to for goodness to flow out of, the treasury of your heart. Now, a lot of us in our culture, when we talk about the heart, we're often talking about emotions. My heart's in it. This is my passion or this is my feelings. Uh, For ancient people, when they talk about heart, they'd be talking about the effective center of our being, our desires. It's our decision producer. It's what we would probably more often call our mind. It's where the core of our thoughts and our emotions shape our worldview and how we approach life. Okay, so how you filter everything, those, those deep thoughts that you have about who God is and who you are and who other people are and how it all works together. The thoughts that run through your mind all the time, this is the treasury. These are the things you've been treasuring, whether you're doing it on purpose or not, in your mind, holding it up so that when you need to go to a reserve, say, how do I live? I need to go to my resources. Where's my storehouse? These are the thoughts and the emotions that are at the core of our center that then dictate our decisions and our behavior. So then we have to ask, if Jesus is saying that good things come from the treasury of our good heart, what's in the treasury of our heart? What's in your reserves? What's in your storehouse? What have you been treasuring up so that when you go through something or you're making a decision and you go to your your deep inner reserves, this is the thought pattern, this is the emotions that are going to dictate how you respond or how you go out and live in the world. Here, I want to tell you how to figure that out. I want to tell you a little bit just one way, there's probably many, but how do we figure out what's in the treasury of our heart, what's deep within our soul that's dictating how we think and how we live? I want to encourage you, and I think Jesus did this all the time, and certainly ancient people throughout the history of Christianity have been doing this, uh, is to spend some time in silence and solitude. So what I would love for you to do even this week is to find some time to spend completely alone, okay? Maybe you're going to go into the forest for a big hike, find a park, Maybe there's time for you where there's nobody in your house, but this is it. Nobody to talk to, okay? No conversation, no podcast, no music, 
No distractions, no screen, no phone to check. Tough enough already, right? Okay, let's just strip it all down to spend some time. And here's what I'd love for you to do in those moments, okay? And if you could do this for a half an hour, be fantastic, be huge. Maybe some of you could do an hour, a couple hours, a morning or an afternoon at some point or wherever, whenever you can do it. But to spend some time, and here's what I'd love for you to do. Let your mind wander and then evaluate where it goes. So when there's no distractions, when there's no phone, when there's no podcast, when there's no people to talk to, when there's nothing to take your attention, where does your mind go? And then just to think and maybe journal a little bit about what those thoughts are. What thoughts do you find coming to mind? Perhaps you'll find that you rehearse an argument that you want to win with someone. Maybe somebody who's hurt you. This is how I would tell them off, and your mind just goes there. And then I'd say this, and then I'd say that. Maybe you would, your mind would go to, man, what if, what if tomorrow my, my company just went from zero to millions and millions, and I was rich all of a sudden, I had all the money in the world, and you fantasize about having more money than you could ever imagine, or more success than you could ever imagine. To wonder about how many of your thoughts are based in fear or worry or insecurity or what other people think of you, what you think other people think of you. And just to write them down. Can I tell you this? Because not to discourage you. And you'll also find, by the way, the flip side, you'll, you'll find gratitude. You'll find the good things in there. That, oh, God's been so good to me. Maybe I'll have moments you go, my kids, I just think of my kids and I love them so much. My family is such a blessing. I hope, you know, we'll probably find a mixture. But just when you, when you find the ones that are a little bit tough to deal with, just give you a little bit of encouragement. I hope this is encouraging because I was preparing for this message this week and spent some time doing this. And I got to be honest with you, there's some moments when I was evaluating what some of those thoughts are in the treasury of my own heart. And I went, oh, that's ugly man, that's there, that's leaking out. That's going to leak out into how I treat my family and how I treat other people and how I think of God or myself. But then to have these moments where quietly you can give those things to God, give those thoughts to God, surrender them. Ask him to invade those areas of life and come into them, even the tough ones. See, Jesus is, is not saying He is and he isn't. He's not saying change your behavior. He is saying change your behavior because he's saying, come follow me. Your life should look like the life that I have for you. But he's not just saying that. He's saying be transformed in your heart in a way that your behavior changes. That you can't just go out and try and live out of resources that you don't have, strength that you don't have, spiritual nutrients that you don't have. You need to come back and make sure that the tree is healthy or else you're never going to really be able to bear fruit. You can't just go fake it. You've got to You've got to build up your reserves. You've got to build up your resources. And then as you do that, that will help you to follow Jesus and to live out the kind of love that he wants you to have. And this is the amazing thing about Jesus is whatever he asks us to do, he's already done. And he's done, as, by the way, not because he's God, because he's human, because he stepped into humanity and showed it what it looked like to have union with God. Because when he asks us to love, he's already loved us, even when we were against him, even when we were his enemies. When he asks us to forgive, he's already forgiven us. When he teaches us grace and compassion and generosity and blessing, it's because he's already extended all of those things to us. And so we've got to receive that, treasure them, store those things up in our minds 
and make that the reserves that we're always going to, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God permeating our being. It's why when people told you, if you grew up in church, maybe you didn't, or even as an adult, and they said you should spend time reading scripture and reading the words of Jesus. So Jesus said, those who hear my teaching and then put it into practice, not just the rules and the laws, but when Jesus teaches you about the depths of who God is, why do you read this? Not so you can go, hey, this morning I read the Bible, great job, did five minutes, but so that those truths about who God is can sink so deep into your heart that they become the health of your soul. They become the thoughts of your mind. They become your resources that you go back to. So as we try and follow Jesus, we don't just do it in our own strength. We do it through the resources of God that he's already given to us. Can I tell you, this, this just stood out to me. And yesterday, I was just thinking about this. And again, how much Jesus never asked us to do what he wasn't willing to do himself. And I thought, in terms of the development of a human person, like to see Jesus be the ultimate whole person, living in union with God, and to watch Jesus willingly go to the cross to be crucified, killed, and then resurrected, what does it take for that to happen? To me, it must mean that in the treasury of Jesus' heart was a love that is stronger than death. That's the resources he lived out of and died out of and lived out of. A love that God, his Father, had for him and for the world that was stronger than death. Here's our gauge. Our gauge it's fruit. But listen, to, to bear fruit, we need to be healthy followers of Jesus. And so we need to come back to Jesus and allow him to speak deep within our hearts. So today what I want to do is take just a couple of minutes here and take communion together. There's these elements in the chair in front of you. If you'd like to participate just below in the rack, you can grab it and hang on to it for a second. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to, we're just going to practice this because I'm hoping some of you are going to do this during the week for a longer time. We're going to take one minute in complete silence. And for some of you, it's going to be agonizing because <laughs> we never do it. There's always music on. There's always conversation. There's always a screen. And I just want you to let your mind wander for one minute. Just, that's it. Okay? Don't be scared of what's there. It's okay. But maybe in, the, in that one minute, as things just come to your mind, maybe there's some scary things. If it's, if it's gratitude, say thank you to God. If it's a scary thing, if it's something that you wish wasn't there, to offer it to him in surrender before we will, in a few minutes, take together the body and the blood of Christ, which is the resources, the one who had a love stronger than death in his heart and gave his life for us. So let's just pause, let your mind wander for one minute.
in your mind where there is fear, may you have the peace of God's presence in Jesus' name. Where there's anger and bitterness, may you find mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Where there's brokenness, may you find healing in Jesus' name. Where there's exhaustion, would you find rest in Jesus' name. Where you feel inadequate, may you find strength in Jesus' name. Where you're discouraged, may you be encouraged in Jesus' name. Where you've given up, may you find hope in Jesus' name. Where there is guilt, may you know forgiveness in Jesus' name. And now would you take the elements? And if you're not a follower of Jesus and this is new to you, you don't have to participate in this. We don't want to force you into something that might be very weird. But for those of us who follow Jesus, uh, Jesus wants to be the resource. He wants to give us all the resources that we need for the life that we have. And to do that, he gave his life in sacrificial, enemy-loving life to show us that he loves us that much, that he is with us in every moment. And so he took bread and he gave thanks to it. Take the wafer. This is the body of Christ given for you. We do it in remembrance of him. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross because deep in the treasury of his heart was a love that was stronger than death, a love that he believed he could surrender himself into God's care and that, that he could trust God in that way. And in doing so, he offered us forgiveness of our sins, saying he would die for us, that he loves us that much, that he would redeem us, and that what God has done in Jesus Christ, he also will do in us. And so for the forgiveness of sins, take the cup and Jesus' blood that was shed for you. And God, we want to thank you. Thank you for this love. We pray that today these wouldn't just be uh, symbolic acts that we take. It wouldn't just be words on a page, but that the teaching of Jesus, the example of Jesus, and the very presence of Jesus would be with us deep within our souls that would continue to form the reservoir, the resources, the reserves of our heart and our minds such that as we go out and seek to follow you, you would enable our actions in our lives, that our hearts would be transformed such that the fruit of our lives show us to be followers of Jesus, the one who loves so deeply. He represents your love and who you are in Jesus' name.